are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Welcome to another episode of Meet and Write. Uh, We're very excited to be talking about a really cool subject about doubt and faith. I'm very excited to have with us Mina Masiha. Uh, We're very excited to have you with us. Thanks for being with us, Mina. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, let's jump right into it, Mina. One thing that uh, I guess myself and many other people kind of struggle with in church as as we grow in our in our walk with Christ and come closer and deeper with our relationship with God, there's comes little times where we come into little speed bumps where we start doubting or have a little bit of hesitation about certain things. And like maybe an example is is communion. You know, sometimes we just go through the motions and we just we know it's good for us and we know it's it's spiritual nourishment. We go through it. But then, like, in life, a lot of things make sense to us, and we use reasoning to make sense of certain things that we do. But when we come to church, we don't fully understand how this is the body and blood of Christ, and we start having these hesitations or doubt of, if, is this really Jesus or not? Um, so we just uh, wanted to pick your brain about that and uh, your thoughts as far as, uh, you know, us having that type of uh, hesitation or doubt. I think that's a uh, really important question that all of us struggle with from uh, one time or another uh, for different periods of time. And I think, you know, there's there's two kinds of uh, Orthodox Christians out there, ones that admit that they question uh, whether this is really the body and blood of Christ or uh, ones that kind of keep it to themselves. Um, I think it's a reasonable question. I think uh, we, we can't be really afraid to say, hey, I'm, I'm not really sure this really makes any sense to me. Uh, we uh, recognize uh, Thomas on Thomas Sunday, the, uh, the Sunday after the Feast of the Resurrection, and we tend to focus on the blessed are those who believe and have not seen, which Christ told him, which is true, and we should all be childlike, and we should all really do our best to suspend disbelief and engage with the church enough to experience Christ. But we live in a day and age where we've learned to question everything. That's a lot of us professionally, that's what we're taught to do. We're taught to ask why. We're taught to ask, how do you know that this is real or not? And either by our disposition, by our surroundings, by our training, by our professions, however we get to that point, we find ourselves questioning. And I think it's told to some people that it's dangerous to question. I think it's actually more dangerous not to question. I think it's, again, it's nice not to question. It would be great. I would love if I had perfect childlike faith where I just entered into church and you know, I was proverbially sitting in Christ's lap throughout the liturgy and, you know, enjoying his presence. But unfortunately, I'm bringing in a lot of baggage into the liturgy. So yeah. when that question comes up, it's not dangerous to ask it. It's dangerous not to ask it. It's dangerous just to bottle it, a little, bottle it up and, you know, not uh, honor that question that we have. So I think the first point is, great, you're, you have this question. That's awesome. Um, thanks for bringing it up. And we can then take it from there. Well, well, how do we engage with this question, which I think is a much more challenging topic. So you encourage us to, to when we have those hesitations, that you encourage us that we need to ask those questions because you're saying that that's healthy for us. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's like a kid sitting in calculus class and, you know, he doesn't understand derivatives. Well, if I raise my hand, the teacher's going to think I'm not very smart and she's going to mark me down. Well, if I don't raise my hand and say, I don't get this, then she's going to really know how bad at calculus I am when the test comes and I don't get anything right. And again, I'm not saying that there's going to be a test or anything, but with our faith, we we should take it at least as seriously as everything else that we we try to understand and say, okay, I I just don't get this. Can someone explain this to me? Um, I mean, definitely. You bring up a good point about, you know, Thomas. You know, we kind of uh, look down on him for being, and we call him Doubting Thomas. And, you know, we kind of shun him because, you know, he had doubt or hesitation. But you're saying, you know, he's an example for us in a way that we should, you know, when when hesitation comes to mind, that we should come with those questions like he did. Absolutely. And and I, I like to take the Bible stories that we've heard a million times and say, well, what if this happened differently, right? We've gotten so used to, well, of course, he's going to heal this person. Well, of course, this person's going to repent. Well, of course, because we've heard it so many times. But let's play what if. What what if Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in uh, the places of the nails and I I see uh, his side and I see the marks of the crucifixion, right? What if he says that and Christ doesn't? honor his question, right? What if Christ says, well, I'm sorry, all these other people really uh, didn't ask that, and you should be embarrassed for asking that. I'm going to ask you to leave now, right? That's not what he did. He said, well, listen, I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of things that we're not going to be able to answer for you here. So blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Because he was saying that really more for us than for him, right? Because we're living in an age now where there's so much that we don't see. There's so much that we don't understand. He's not really talking to Thomas, I don't think. Because he's, he's not, he's showing Thomas. He's like, listen, I, I have this great opportunity to show you everything right now. But it's not always going to be the case. And he doesn't kick him out. He doesn't shun him. So when we ask questions, we should hold on to Thomas. and maybe take it in prayer and go to God and say, hey, I'm really struggling here. I I need you to help me. You help Thomas. I don't know if you're going to be able to help me the same as Thomas. I'm not going to be able to put my finger in the imprint of the nails, but you got to throw me something here. And if we bring it to him in prayer, I don't think he's going to shun us any more than he did with Thomas. Yeah, that that's a good point, Mina. I mean, we kind of forget that Jesus met Thomas where he was like Thomas was at an intersection at, at a at, at a point in his life where there was hesitation and Jesus met or came down to Thomas's level and had a conversation with him about it right and we we may look at that as less faith right but faith isn't something that we quantify very easily right so you might look at someone who's questioning and say oh he doesn't have a lot of faith but maybe the indication of this person's faith is that they are questioning, right? Maybe it's not so much that this person had a question come up and said, oh, well, you you know, I don't believe in this Christianity thing, so I have to ask this question. It's, no, I have this question, and I have enough faith in the church, and I have enough faith in uh, the 
people that are serving me in the church that I can ask the church and I can ask these people and I can bring this question knowing that my faith is going to be restored. Because right now I'm doubting, not for any good reason, but because of this intellectual thing. And if I bring it to a servant or bring it to a priest or bring it to uh, a spiritual guide that I trust, or just bring it to God in prayer, I'm confident. I have enough faith that it will be answered. And it reminds me of the, the man who wanted his son healed, and Christ asked him, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think for us, when we have these questions, we, have, we should have enough faith to give the benefit of the doubt that there is an answer that we just don't understand. Yeah, and, and Thomas is our evidence of that, that yes. he had that hesitation and Jesus came to him and talked to him about it, not just, you know, just brushed him off aside and said, oh, you have little faith, get out of here. You know, he, he, he met where he was and had a conversation with him. You know, another good point is Jesus saying, seek and you shall find. And, and that should give us a lot of hope and confidence, too, that if we actively pursue the questions that are on our heart about seeking God, that we will find it. Which brings us back to our initial question, which is the Eucharist. How do we know that this is the body and blood? Which, unfortunately, ironically, the answer is we don't really have a good answer, right? It, it falls into the category of things that are mysteries of the church. And mystery is a beautiful thing that in some people's eyes seems like we don't know right? It seems just like a really fancy way of saying, oh, we don't know. And it kind of is, but it understates the importance of apophaticism. And I, I don't know why the topic and the idea of apophaticism doesn't come up more often when we start talking about the understanding of our religion. And I think it's one of the first things that we should talk about. So apophatic theology is understanding the limits of what we're going to know. And one of the best books uh, out there that's often quoted uh, when we talk about apophatic theology is uh, The Life of Moses by St. Gregory of Nyssa. And he talks about Moses, how he was closer to God than almost anybody in the history of man. And he still was always striving to know more about God. He saw the back of God and still wanted to see more. So if we start out with a premise of we are finite beings, God is infinite, we will never fully understand him. That is the heart of apophatic theology. And we see it in the Gregory of St. Liturgy, uh, sorry, the, the Liturgy of St. Gregory, which, you know, is a different Gregory, but uh, happens to be another Gregory, when we call God the infinite, immeasurable, unchangeable, we, we know what something means to be finite, right? It, it's from here to there, and it's measurable. I, I can say it's one yard, it's one uh, meter, it's uh, one mile. We, we know how long it is. God is immeasurable. Yeah. So we're saying something about him that is true, but it's not something that we understand. He's unchangeable. We understand what changes. We don't understand what it is for something not to change. So again, we're saying something about God that is true, but it's not really something that we understand. It's the opposite of something that we understand, which isn't really the same thing. So when we talk about theology and we talk about 
mysteries of the church, it's not just a fancy way of saying, I don't know. It becomes part of a greater comprehensive study of God that starts with that limitation. It's not like, oh, we'll try to learn as much as we possibly can and then hit a brick wall and say, oh, I guess, you know, you know, I, I guess we don't really know very much about God and I guess we might as well give up. No, before we even start learning about God, before we talk about anything related to Christ and the Eucharist and the mysteries of the church, we have to start with, listen, we're going to explain as much, about as much as we can, but there's going to be a limit because God is infinite and we're finite. Yeah, so you're, you're saying like the baseline that I, I need to understand when I have hesitations or doubt on my faith or walk toward God is I have to understand that I have limitations as a human being. Right. My creator is immeasurable and is ineffable, like we say in, in the liturgy, right. that it's hard for me to comprehend him. But right. I, can, I can take one step at a time to come closer to him to understand him, but I won't fully comprehend him. Right, and especially when it comes to mysteries of the church, if you start going around telling people, okay, guys, I got it. I understand the Trinity. Let me explain it to you. Yeah. You really want to sit back and just listen to what's going to come because it's most likely heresy. Yeah. Um, and we've all heard about the, the, oh, well, somebody one time wanted to prove that the Eucharist wasn't really the body and blood. And, you know, they kept it in their mouth and they, they put it under a microscope. and we don't we don't look at the Eucharist that way. We we don't need scientific scrutiny to say that bread and wine has become converted in a mystery to body and blood. We we don't need to overthink it. There's not much there other than it just is. And one of my favorite things to to ask is is similar to when Christ was asked about the baptism of John the Baptist, where he he kind of answered a question with a question. They asked him, you know, was it from God or from men? And, you know, he said, or sorry, they, they asked him what um, authority he was doing things with. And he brought it back to them with a question. Okay, you tell me about the baptism of John the Baptist. Was it from God or from men? And they got stuck because they couldn't answer his question, right? So when we ask about the Eucharist and how do we know it's the body and blood and how is it possible that, you know, bread and wine becomes body and blood? Then we point back to the Last Supper, where he's sitting with the disciples, and he gives them his body and blood. And he says, take, eat of this, this is my body. Take, drink of this, this is my blood. That seems more ridiculous to me than the Eucharist that we're eating. He hasn't even died yet. He's sitting at the table with them. How does that make sense? That doesn't make any sense at all. So if we're trying to make sense of things, we're asking the wrong questions. But if we're trying to see the mystery and we're trying to see the relationship that God wants to have with us through the sacraments of the church, then we can see that when he sits with them and he says, take eat of this, this is my body, take drink of this, this is my blood, not a symbol of my blood, not something that's like my blood, but it is my blood and it is my body. And then he follows it with, do this in remembrance of me then we are doing exactly what he told us to do. And if we really want to understand what's going on, we go back to the Greek where in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Corinthians, we quote it in the institution narrative in the liturgy where we say, do this in remembrance of me. And if you go back to the Greek text in the New Testament, the word remembrance is anamnesis. 
and it's the opposite of amnesia. So we think remembrance is remembering. Oh yeah, remember when Christ did that? That was really cool. It's not remembering, it's remembrance. And the English kind of undersells the theological importance of what is being given to them at the Last Supper. They're being given this timeless, limitless event where he is giving them his body and blood, which is going to be broken on the cross the next day and resurrected four days later on the Feast of the Resurrection. And we're participating that in anamnesis. We're participating in that with a lack of forgetting. We're perpetually keeping the Eucharist in front of us. We're not just saying, oh, remember that. We're saying we're always keeping that in front of us. It's a lack of forgetting of that event through the Eucharist. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Mina, about you know anamnesis. It's not something every time we come to celebrate the Eucharist, we're not just celebrating like an historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, but we're bringing that event to the present, something that we live and apply today, that in a mystical way, we are sitting at that Eucharistic table with Christ and partaking of his body and blood. Um, yeah, That's a great point about anamnesis. And, so, and I wish we had uh, more time to talk about various uh, other questions that now crop up. One is, well, how is that possible? Because we have a linear understanding of time with past, present, and future. So how is it that that's compatible with God's eternal present, which is always now? Um, it brings up questions, well, okay, well, if that's a mystery, then what else is a mystery? If I'm going to just hit roadblocks and I'm going to get nowhere asking questions about certain things, well, what are those things? So I don't really waste my time asking about them and what things are fair game that I should be questioning. And, you know, again, there's lots of different corollary questions that come up once we say, first of all, ask whatever you want. Everything's fair game. Don't be embarrassed. If If it's questioned, then it should be questioned in the open, not in your silence and shut down. And two, um, treat things apophatically. Don't don't just expect that everything's going to be answered, because if everything's answered, we're not really talking about an infinite God. We're talking about something that's very finite and very limited and something that we can wrap our heads around. So ask as much as you want, but don't always expect that you're going to get an answer. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a good point. I mean, uh, just like you mentioned, I mean, Thomas is, is our encourager to ask questions, but you bring up a good point. You know, what are the things that we ask questions about and what are the things that, you know, it's it's kind of hard to ask questions. And, and we would love, Mina, for a future episode that we can dive deeper into that uh, as far as what do we approach in our spiritual journey, um, you know, maybe partaking to the liturgy or just as our, our journey toward Christ. You know, what are the things that we are encouraged to question and go further in and what things that we just accept? Uh, so would love to have you, Mina, for a future episode to dive deeper into that. That'd be great. I'd love to come back. All right. Well, thanks again, Mina. appreciate you being with us and your time. My pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CopticHymnsInEnglish.com.